Father, I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, to bear your wrath against our sin. I thank you that you save us from the consequences of our sin on a daily basis. I thank you that you've given us power to fight against that sin, to live for your glory, to pursue holiness. God, I thank you for your holiness, that you are above scrutiny, Father, that all of your ways are perfect and right and good. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in creation as we look out and see the things that you've made. It just screams and cry out your glory. And I thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word, that we might know you more intimately, that we might be able to follow you more closely, to reflect you more clearly. Tonight, as we open up your word, pray that you would bring conviction to us to help us turn from our sin, that you would bring encouragement to us to help us to fight the good fight of faith with joy, that you would sustain us, plant our feet upon you, our firm foundation, our rock and our fortress. Holy Spirit, please open up your word to us tonight. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been in the book of First Timothy. But tonight we are not going to be in First Timothy. We're going to take a little tangent. And we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Now we are going to be looking at a lot of scripture tonight. I'm going to give you a heads up now. A lot of scripture. would encourage you to try to flip and read these as I flip. And uh, follow along with us. Uh, jot these down um, on your paper. Look at it later. Take some notes and then look at those things. I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, title of the message tonight and kind of frame our conversation. And then I'm going to give you some foundation scriptures. And then one of those scriptures is First Peter is going to be the foundation for most of the meat that we get tonight. So the title of this is Submission, Rights, and Doing What's Right. I don't think you have to be super intelligent to know why I'm talking about this tonight. Okay, The governor just came out with a new mask mandate, and if you were like me, you have got American blood flowing through your veins. Okay, And instantly we think, well, hey, now what's, you know, what's the authority and what's going on? And so what I want to do is not directly address that, but just address this general principle in Scripture about submitting to our governing authorities, what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. Okay, We're going to ask these questions. According to the Bible, when do we submit and when do we not submit? And there are instances where both of those apply. According to the Bible, why do we submit and not submit to maybe help guide when we should do this? According to the Bible, how do we submit and when we don't submit, how do we do that? Okay, I think it's going to be helpful for us. And then based on this, you can apply this to the governor's proclamation mandate. You can apply it across the board all kinds of ways. And that's up to you and dealing with the Holy Spirit on what that will look like in your life. So I want to read through some scriptures. would encourage you to flip along if you can. Um, we're going to hang out in First Peter. So... 
If you could turn to Titus first, Titus chapter 3, I want to read this to kind of help give us a foundation. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read a few passages to give us a foundation, and then we're going to really pick apart 1 Peter chapter 2. So Titus 3, verses 1 through 2. Sounds like most people are there. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So as a reminder, this is kind of like First and Second Timothy. This is a pastoral epistle, pastoral letter. Paul is writing to instruct a pastor. Here's how you shepherd your flock. So he's reminding Titus to remind the church to do these things. Next passage is in Romans chapter 13. Verses 1 through 7. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and read. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rules are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Final passage where we'll be hanging out most of the time tonight is 1 Peter chapter 2. Most of you are probably already there. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 25. I'm going to read the whole thing now. Then we're going to ask our questions, and we're going to be jumping around in these verses. I've gotten everything from this passage. I've just had to rearrange the order. So we're going to be jumping around within this a lot. 1 Peter 2, 13-25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. 
honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I hope that sounds familiar. We've looked at that recently. So the three questions. When do we submit and not submit? Why and how? So first we're going to look at when do we submit. I'm going to give you three scenarios that I see in this passage when Scripture commands submit to the authorities. Okay. Number one, when do we submit? We submit when our rulers rule well. Look at verse 14 and 18. 14 says, talking about submitting to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We naturally want to submit to those types of rulers. And then in verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So we submit to the good and gentle ruler who rules well and who punishes those who do evil and or punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. This is easy. It's really easy when we submit in this scenario. We want to submit to someone like that. We want to submit to authorities when they have our best interest at heart. We tell Kristen whenever we pass up, you know, a police car or something, there's kind of this funny like, oh, like, oh, the police, oh, you know, are you? And we try to be very um, intentional with reiterating this phrase. We love the police. In our culture, we want to instill that deeply within her. I love the police. Even if he's writing me a big fat ticket, I love the police because I know that they have our best intention at heart. It's easy to submit to those kind of rulers. So we're not going to spend another second on that one. We're going to go to number two. What's the second scenario when we submit according to this passage? We submit when our rulers don't rule well. Look at verse 18. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Submit to your unjust master. This is where submission gets hard. This is where it gets difficult. And one of the biggest reasons I believe that we have a hard time with this is our pride. We have this governing body or ruler or authority that says something, and in my mind I think, I know better than that. I'm not going to submit to this. 
because blank. We have a reason. Sometimes really good reasons. In the moment, our obedience is only based on our belief that we know better. The problem is you don't always know better. You think you do, but you don't always. This is true of me, especially. My wife makes very clear that I know this, and she is frequently right, and I hate it. I hate saying this phrase, but you know what I have to say sometimes? Unfortunately, a lot of times, you're right. (laughs) Don't want to, but I have to admit it. Notice that in this passage, there actually isn't an excuse given to give us a way out. It doesn't say, unless they are unjust, submit unless, it doesn't say that. It says, submit also to the unjust. So in this passage, not my opinion, When do we submit? When our rulers rule well. Number two, when our rulers don't rule well. Number three, when we suffer unjustly. Verse 18 again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So the implication is that... This good one is gentle in his ruling, but the unjust one is not. Look down at verse 20. It says, what credit is it for you if you sin and are beaten for it and then you endure? What credit is that? You get what you deserve. Rather, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of of God for to this you have been called. It's already hard enough to do the right thing when we don't want to, but then to add the fact that sometimes you're going to suffer for it just makes it difficult. Why would I do what I don't want to do when I have a good reason for not doing it and I'm going to suffer for it? Why would I do that? We're going to answer that question in just a moment. The important thing that we need to see now is what does the Bible say to do? Because if the Bible says to do it, we don't have to understand why in order to obey. This is where it gets difficult. I don't want to obey if I don't understand why. So if you don't know my personality, I am very much an outside the box. Uh, I push boundaries a lot. And if if you tell me, like, this is the line, trust me. I want to know how you know that's the line because you might be wrong. And I want to know if the line is really over here. And I need to reason. That's just my personality. So this really hits hard for me. I don't have to understand why before I obey. And I'll tell you this. With the Lord, you won't always understand why. You just won't. Why does God command this? No. Brother, sister, that's a good question. I don't know. So when do we submit When our rulers rule well, when they don't rule well, when we suffer unjustly, we still submit. When do we not submit? I've got one example here, and I guess I need to say you shouldn't think of these as the only examples in all of Scripture. I'm just giving you what what I have for you. If you come back later, you're like, hey, I've got another instance of when we don't submit. Praise God. Okay? As long as it's from Scripture and you're looking at this and you're applying Scripture, that's great. But this is one instance 
when we do not submit, when it would cause us to commit immorality. You can flip to Daniel chapter 3 if you'd like. I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. So this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there is this image that they are to bow down and worship when the music plays. And by the way, there's a song that Shane and Shane does here um, called Burn Us Up. And he sings this song from the perspective of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They sing it. It is one of my favorite songs I've ever heard. Some really good lines in it. So if you're into music, highly recommend that. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't want to bow down to this image. They want to bow down to their Lord. Okay? And so I'm going to read verses 14 through 18 here. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king, answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, Lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I get chill bumps when I read this. I don't know if it's the American part of me that's getting the chill bumps or the spiritual part or both, but I read this and I get fired up, pun intended. I get fired up. Yeah, so some people there, they're like, Ooh, yeah, I got some pun powers. Okay. They said, if you try to kill us for disobeying, our God will save us. But even if he doesn't save us, know this, we will not bow down to your God. We will not do it. One of our problem areas is here is that we take something that's a non-moral issue. And that's what we make it. We make it a moral issue. We take something that's really not significant and then we elevate it to that status. Is that we will not do this. I will die first for something that's not a moral issue. And I'm going to give you an example that I've given to students before because we talk about this with students, especially in student ministry, um, you know, submitting, and all the parents said, Amen. Okay? So I'm going to give you an example I've given to students before because I think you as parents will really appreciate this. So your parents, so this is me giving it to students. Your parents say, clean your room. So you say, why? So the parent says, famous four words, because I said so. Because I said so. 
Powerful words from a parent. So then the student's brain kicks into gear. They're starting to think for themselves. I know everything. Mom and dad don't. So they reason, okay, my parents are asking me to follow blindly just because I said so. But they've warned me in the past about blindly following anybody. They tell me to just don't blindly follow people. So they're morally compromised. It is wrong for me to follow an, a morally compromised person, so it would be wrong for me to submit to this and clean my room. I would just be given in. So they look to their parents and they say, sorry, I'm afraid I can't do that. That's immoral. Wrong answer. <laughs> we all know that doesn't end well. That, that is the wrong answer. In this example... Cleaning your room is not a moral issue, no matter how you try to jump through the hoops to get there in your mind. You're like, oh, I think it is, brother. I think it's a moral issue. It's really not. Just clean your room. Okay? In this example, cleaning your room is not a moral issue. I use this because it's obvious. Students are under authority in their home. Adults aren't. So the analogy for you as an adult may not fit perfectly, but for the students it works well. You're the authority. But that being said, there are other more subtle examples of this. Think about a store that has a sign. It says, no shoes, no service. Okay. So you reason in your brain, they don't have the right to require me to dress a certain way to go into the store. That's discrimination. I have rights. Okay. You have tried to turn a non-moral issue into a moral issue. And we're going to touch on this again in a moment. So what I, what we need to take away from this is, when do we submit, when do we not submit in Scripture? Three times that we do submit. When our rulers rule well, when they don't rule well, when we suffer unjustly, we still submit. When do we see in Scripture a scenario when we don't submit? When it would cause us to commit immorality. To uh, deny our God and what he instructs us to do. So now that we've looked at when, let's go look at why and how. Again, back to this passage in 1 Peter. So number one, I'm going to give you three reasons. Why do we submit? Reason number one, because God calls us to do it. Because God calls us to do it. So look at verse 13. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 15. For this is the will of God. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. And it says that Christ suffered leaving you an example. We'll get there in just a moment. Romans 13.5 also mentions... Um, obeying for the sake of conscience. When we submit, we don't submit because the command is the right course of action. We submit because submitting is the right course of action. Okay? It, when you submit, you're not saying, I agree with you that this is good, right, and true always. The student that submits to their parents cleaning the room, in their mind, this is not right, mom and dad. This is not cool. But they submit. When we submit, it's not because the command is the right course of action. It's because we are called to submit. Literally, the words the scriptures use are that it's the will of God for us to do so. 
And if you think about it, isn't this the motivation behind any of our obedience to the Lord? Why do we do what God tells us to do? Because we are convinced and believe that it's God's will for us to do so. There's some things in my life that I don't feel like doing that God calls me to do or some things that I feel like engaging in that God says don't. One of the best examples I can think of is evangelism. I'm taking a a class now. I've started my classwork back. Praise God. And uh, my professor is uh, Dr. Whitney. And he said this literally last night on on a live stream that I had. He talking about evangelism. A student asked, so one of my things for this year, this semester, eight weeks, I need to have an evangelism encounter and journal about it and then turn that turn that journal in. So one student asked a question and they said, I am not like an outgoing person. I get nervous talking with people. You know, could I have um, a uh, I don't remember how he phrased it, but could I perform this assignment differently because I you know, have social anxiety talking to people? And Dr. Whitney said this, I can count on one hand, probably with a couple of amputations, the number of people I know who don't get nervous when evangelizing. He said, I get nervous every time. It is not in my blood to have to just naturally walk up to someone and have a conversation about the Lord. I don't know of anybody that does. Question is. Especially for the student going to seminary, wanting to go into ministry. Has God commanded for you to do this? Now, it doesn't look the same for everybody. The whole point in this is, it isn't my love for evangelism that compels me to go do it. It's because I know it's God's desire and I want to be in the will of God. And that's hard. And it's the same thing with this. Why do we submit In these scenarios, because God calls us to do it. Number two, why do we submit? Because Jesus did. First Peter chapter two, um, verses 21 through 23. Listen, listen to this. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the ultimate reason that we do anything in our lives as Christians. We are trying to model our Savior in all things. It's God's will for us to do it. We're commanded. I want to please God. What does that look like? Submitting to the image of Christ and modeling that. Learning what does it look like to look like Jesus and doing that. The problem is that Jesus doesn't actually give us an example of all things. I can't look to him at all things and say, okay, how do I need to handle myself when someone cuts me off in traffic? And I'm flipping through. Jesus, I don't have it, bro. What do I? You know, we don't have all those specific things. There's principles that we get from Scripture and apply. But the good news for our scenario is we actually have the literal example from Jesus here for our direct scenario now. We have the actual literal example. He is submitting to authorities who are unjustly treating him and punishing him for what he did not do. What does he do? He submits to the point of death. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were saved. Jesus died. He leaves us an example for, for how we submit and why we submit. So why do we submit? Because God calls us to do it. Because Jesus did it. Number three. Because it's a sign of respect. We see this in verse 18, and we also saw it in the Romans passage earlier. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Pretty clear. Being subject to masters is tied to respect. When you submit, it's a sign of respect. When you disobey or you don't submit, it's a sign of disrespect. We've got some good friends in uh, DeRitter that we go over to their house and their family, they go in and they all take their shoes off right inside the door every single time. So you go in and before I knew that, you know, I just walk into the house and I turn and look and see their shoes. I'm like, oh, do I need to take my shoes off? And they're like, yeah, that'd be good. It's okay. You know, no harm because I genuinely didn't know. But after knowing that, if I walk in and I'm like, yeah, we really like, ah, maybe later. <laughs> And walk and kick up on their couch. That's disrespectful. Why? Because I knew and chose not to do it. That's a sign of disrespect. Has nothing to do with the morality of taking off my shoes. The reason I submit there is so that I can be respectful. It's about respect for the person whose house you're entering. You follow the rules out of respect. So that's why we submit. Why do we not submit? When we choose not to submit, why? And I have one reason here. This is out of Acts 4, 18 through 20. The one reason is because our obedience to a lesser authority would require disobedience to a greater authority. Our obedience to a lesser authority would require disobedience to a greater authority. This applies a little bit to the book of Daniel, but here's a passage in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 18. So Peter and John are being questioned because they healed a man, he began to walk, and then they start preaching the gospel. Like, we didn't do this, Jesus did this. Jesus is the Savior. Everyone turned to Jesus. Jews said, we got to stop that right now. They arrest them, they bring them in, they question them. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's the Pharisees, the religious teachers. Do not teach or preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak. Of what we have seen and heard. Basically they said. Is it better to listen to you or God? We think it's not you. We're going to listen to God. That's what they said. And I'm going to give you an example of this. If, if, you're, if, you, if you're obedience to a worldly authority. Would require you to disobey God. You can distinguish it as a moral issue. Let me give you an example. Let's say that for some reason we get to a place in our country where the authorities show up to our house. They order us to give up the location of other Christians so that they could be hunted down and killed and they would spare my life for it. A lot of Christians face this dilemma today. Not here, but a lot of Christians do. 
I would choose not to submit because of that. I would be disobeying God. I feel like I am disobeying God to tell you where my brothers and sisters are so you can go kill them. I cannot do that. Okay? However, if the authorities came to take away all of my possessions simply because I'm a Christian, okay, we're going to take your house, we're going to take your cars, we're going to take everything you own. Guess what? This happens to Christians too today. Not to us. If the authorities came and did that, I would submit. I would try to submit. I would pray that God would allow me to submit. I would not fight back. Why? Because the surrendering of my property and possessions is not being disobedient to God. I don't have to disobey God to give you my stuff. It's unjust, sure. You may say, but Garrett, would that actually happen? And would that actually be what God wants you to do? Wouldn't God want you to fight back and to resist? No. That's the American within us. But the Christian within us seeks this. Hebrews 10.34. You can write this down and look at it later if you'd like. Hebrews 10.34. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The Christians joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Take it. We're taking everything. Take it. Can I tell you about Jesus? You don't understand. You don't have a house anymore. You're going to go starve and die. There's something you can't take from me. And I'd like to share that with you. That was their message. And they're honored for that. They're honored for that. But Garrett, that's wrong. Aren't we to fight for justice and to seek justice? Absolutely. But that doesn't change what the Bible commands us to do. Again, Hebrews 10, 34. Go look at it. Even when it's unjust, we submit knowing that God is the just judge who will handle it. And that's in verse 23 of our passage in 1 Peter. God is going to handle it. He is the judge. So we've looked at um, when we submit, when we don't submit. We looked at why we submit, why we don't submit. Last one. We're going to look at how and how not to submit. How and how not to submit. And uh, three ways specifically that I'm going to see in this passage and give to you. How do we submit and how do we, when we don't submit, how do we not submit? Okay. Number one, not reciprocating, but respectful. So reciprocating is this idea of Giving back what has come to you. Reciprocating. Not reciprocating, but respectful. First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 16. <clears throat> says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then in 17, honor everyone. Everyone. 
Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Look down in verses 22, looking at the example of Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But then in verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He did not return what was dished out, and neither should we. Insulting our authorities when they make decisions that we wouldn't make is not honoring to Christ. I don't care what political affiliation they have. You may have a good point in what you have to say. You may be right. But insulting our authorities and being disrespectful to them... If our president were to walk in this room, regardless of what I think about him or his policies, you know what I would say? Yes, sir. No, sir. Mr. President. He's our president. Doesn't matter if you agree with him or not. And we've seen that a lot with both Biden and Trump. Where if you disagree, you can talk about that person however you want. We don't get that luxury as Christians. We follow Christ. So we don't reciprocate reciprocate actions. You do this to me, I'm going to do it back. But we're respectful. Let me be the first one to say this is a struggle for me. I don't want to give the impression that, oh, Garrett's got it all figured out. This is hard. This is very hard. But it's my example that I have from Christ. So whether or not I'm perfect in doing that, I will strive after that. That's the goal. There's an example from Scripture that I love. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 24. It's an example from the life of King David. He's being hunted down by Saul so that Saul can kill him because David is going to take his place as king. 1 Samuel 24 verses 1 through 7. When Saul returned, First uh, Samuel 24, 1 through 7. I know some people have turned in there real quick. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. That means he went in to use the bathroom. That's actually what that means. There's a cave, I'm going to go use the bathroom. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Saul goes in to use the bathroom, and at his weakest possible posture ever... He doesn't know that David and his men are right behind him. Very ironic. (laughs) What a scenario. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David. God said he would deliver Saul into your hands. Brother, 
God is faithful. Here he is. I don't know about you, but if I'm David, you're right. (laughs) It's so clear. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David didn't kill him. He went up and cut off a corner of his robe while Saul was doing his thing and snuck back. And he's going to use this to shame the king of Israel. I could have killed you. Look at this. I cut off part of your robe while you were using the bathroom. That's what he's going to do. What happens to David? His heart struck him. When I read that, my heart struck me because I wouldn't have felt bad about it. I'd have bragged about that. That's pretty cool. Look what I did. David's heart struck him. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. Talking about Saul, called Saul his Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Now, if you keep reading, you see how David reacts after that. You can take that for what it's worth. But he is struck to the heart that he would shame God's anointed regardless of how ungodly he was being. It struck David. I, that struck me. And I will never forget that. Because I wouldn't have done that. But maybe now, by God's grace, I will do that. And I will be sensitive to that. So how and how do we not submit? Not reciprocating, but respectful. Number two. Mindful of God. In First uh, Peter 2 again. I'm getting this from 19. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When you are submitting to authorities, you're not just obeying authorities, you're obeying, excuse me, you're obeying God who commands you to do so. Think about it like this. As you obey, in your mind, think, this is for the glory of God that I'm submitting to you right now. That's okay. That's okay if that's your motivation. If that's, if that's what you have to do to get yourself to, com- to be compelled to submit, do it. Whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So think that. Be mindful of God as you submit. Number three, how do we do it? Picking your battles wisely. So if you look back to Daniel chapter 1, uh, I'm not going to go here and read this now. You can go look at it later. Daniel chapter 1 verses 8 through 13 has Daniel... And these other Jews and they're being told, hey, look, we need you to eat and to be healthy. We're going to teach you all of our culture and you're going to be our biggest proponents. They just captured them. And so David tells them, I can't eat this. My religion makes it to where if I eat this, it's unclean for me. So the guards keeping watch over them said, "Okay, but look, Nebuchadnezzar gave me this to give to you. And if I present you to him and you're weak looking because all you're eating is vegetables, I'm going to die. So you have to eat this. So Daniel says, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Give me just a little bit of time. Give me my diet. 
I will be just as healthy, if not healthier, than everyone else. And then if that works, then there's no problem. God says, okay. And it happens. Praise God. It's interesting to me in that scenario. You can go look at it later for yourself. Daniel was actually willing to break the dietary laws. He was willing to do it. He said, if not, then I will eat all your food. I will do the things. Because Daniel realized, he realized that eating certain kinds of food in itself is not sinful. It's not a moral issue. He was willing to back down on that. But in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was a moral issue. And I said, King, we will not bow down to you. So we have to learn to pick our battles wisely. We have to not make every issue a life or death issue and learn to discern when submission is godly and when it's ungodly. So the application here, obviously, I'm giving this to you on the heels of another mask mandate. Okay. This is how I'm applying this, but this principle applies way more broadly. One final comment that I'll give to you. The verse right before our passage tonight in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, sets up this whole dialogue on submission to authorities. And I think it really gives us a good reason to fuel why we do this. This is what we hope for in our submission. It says this in 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our hope is that through our submission, our actions would be above reproach and a witness to God's glory and the gospel. So that they will have nothing bad to say about us. We don't want to give people a reason to hate us. If it is not a moral issue... Whether the ruler is ruling right or ruling wrong, whether we're suffering, let us submit when Scripture tells us to submit for the reason Scripture tells us to submit in the way Scripture tells us to submit. Tells us to submit. And when we're not supposed to submit, let's be sure we're doing that in the right way as well. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray. Father, as much as this goes against my grain as an American, I am a Christian. That means that you are my God and I am your son. We, all of us now, God, are coming before you as your children, confessing to you that this is hard. We cannot do this on our own. Father, we are asking that you would supply us the grace we need every day to submit to our authorities when we just don't want to. Father, when we would be violating your law, when we would be acting in an immoral way, give us the strength and fortitude to not submit respectfully. Seeking your honor and glory above the honor and glory of men. Give us wisdom and discernment so that we might be able to rightly judge between those two. 
Most of all, God, we thank you that you have left us an example through your son who suffered in our place, dying for the unjust, unjustly, so that we might be redeemed from our sin. Thank you. We love you. We praise you for your works. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.